And I am so thankful I got to listen to uh, Kyle's message uh, this week online. And I am just, I hope you're enjoying what God is saying to us through the, the book of Proverbs and just what, what it means to live well and to walk in wisdom. I'm so thankful for Kyle's message about our words and how our words need to, we need to walk in wisdom with our words. A couple of weeks ago, as Ronnie Mills shared about that word that just has resonated in my mind, sluggard, all right? Just a, what a great word to just uh, be thinking about as, as we think about the wisdom of Proverbs and laziness. And as Pastor Bart shared about our sexuality and just what Proverbs has to say as it speaks into our life and about wisdom itself. And today we're going to continue in that. But I, I'm so thankful for lead pastor and Bart that uh, we, we are able to, to share uh, speaking and the opportunities that I get to, to, to speak here at EVC. And as we do, as we model that and sharing that with Kyle and Ronnie, we want you to understand this. Look, this is not about a personality. Amen. This is about what God has to say to each of us through, uh, through a multitude of voices. As Chad Vandiver has shared in our services before, as we continue to push forward. And here's the truth of this, that God has significant things that He wants to share with you and I through each other as well. That we continually hear what God has to say to us through His Word and in, in living well. Well, I got to... I got to experience that on Lake Tahoe, and uh, I got to ride the tram to nine, about 9,000 feet. That was really good. But on July the 18th, or excuse me, July the 15th, the, that was on Sunday, the Friday before, on July the 15th, uh, Allison, for her 18th birthday, we said, what do, you, what do you want to do for your 18th birthday? She said, I want to climb Mount Tollock, 9,600 feet. And Jennifer thought it was a great idea that since we were both present at Allison's birth, that we should also climb Mount Tollock at 9,600 feet. And let me just say the tram is better, okay? <laughs> but I want to tell you, there, I, I run quite a bit, I, I work out a lot, and uh, there were muscles in both my legs that halfway up the mountain I did not realize that I had. And it's below your knees, down into your calf, on the inside here, that muscle, well, that's not my shin. Okay, I'm, not, I'm looking at the body part. Yes, I know, but it comes down here, and all I'm telling you is I've never felt sore in that muscle ever in my life except halfway up the mountain, to which going to the top and having to come all the way back down for 12 miles, this was crazy. And I wanted, and we got down to the bottom, and Jennifer and I are walking hand in hand because we're leaning on each other. Probably 45 minutes after both the girls had made it to the bottom, and I got to the bottom and I said, Allison, I hope you've had a great birthday, all right? I hope you've enjoyed this. But I'm telling you, the beauty of God's creation is immense, is it not? As we get to experience it and see this, uh, what God wants to do. But I hope you'll join me in just praying uh, this next week and a half or two weeks. Uh, my daughter is about to board a plane right now. She is going on a mission trip with Dallas Baptist University to Israel. And uh, so would you just, I want to encourage you, if you would pray for her and that team as they go this week, that would bless a father's heart for sure. But here's what I believe, and that is this. We are the safest when we are in the center of what God wants us to do. Amen? So wherever we go, no matter what, God is in control of all these things. When we look at our, in our world my nephew, who's the pastor of First Baptist Church San Francisco, uh, was in Turkey uh, the day they were they were boarding the plane in six hours when the bomb went off in Turkey. 
And uh, they were just a few hours from being at that airport. But listen, God is sovereign, amen? And we are the safest when we are in the center of what he calls us to do. If you would just uh, be praying with me about that this week, we are so excited. And yet, my daughter takes incredible glee that she is now going a place in the world that I have never been. And yet I am paying for the trip. What is up with that, okay, that, that we see that? But listen, some incredible things have been going on in our lives as we go into this summer. Uh, as, as Allison graduated from high school, we had made a commitment as we came to EVC six years ago that we wanted them to finish up in the school system with the great friends that they had chosen, made great choices. She graduated this past summer or this past uh, spring And so we're in the process now of moving. And so these moving boxes, we are moving to Saginaw. And so uh, we close on a house this Friday. And so so I've been very, very familiar with these kind of boxes. But I want to to illustrate what we're going to talk about today before I even give you the topic that we're going to talk about. So today, we're going to get to experience Randy's box of fun, okay? So I want you to say that with me. Would you say it? Okay. Randy's box of fun. As a result of of doing this, just to illustrate this, I'm going to need a volunteer this morning. And I see him. There he is, Chad Ling. A volunteer. That is not a volunteer. That's a voluntold is what I just gave him. So uh, I love this guy. I've told this story many times. But Chad is the one about four years ago that don't look in the box. Did I tell you to look in the box? Don't look in the box. That's Randy's box of fun, all right? But Chad, about four years ago, as we baptized him out at the lake, I told Chad, Chad, we are going to keep you under the water one second for every sin you've committed, all right? And his eyes got huge. I said, Chad, I'm just teasing, all right? He goes, I don't think I could let, hold my breath that long. So I said, brother, I don't think any of us could, but I love this man. So today, you are going to get to experience, to illustrate what we're going to be talking about today, Chad, you're going to get to experience Randy's box of fun. Are you a little bit nervous about that? Not at all. I think you're lying. Okay, but just because of that, because we're all about safety here at EVC, we want to, uh, I think you need to wear this safety vest to make sure that you are actually ready to uh, to experience Randy's box of fun. Let me dress you here. Uh, There you go. All right. And, And because that's not enough, we also need to experience a hard hat for you today. I'm messing up that fine head of Hawaiian hair that you have there. All right, so doesn't he look good, ladies and gentlemen, all right, as we get to experience this. Now, what you may not know about Chad is Chad is a skilled craftsman. Smile for a picture. Here we are. There we go. There we go. All right, so, so Chad is a skilled craftsman, and so we're going to display some things for you, Chad. So I'm going to dip into Randy's box of fun, and we're going to bring out our first item and here it is, Chad. Would you hold on to that, all right? That is a hammer, Chad, is what that is. Now, now, how many of you would say, you don't know how skilled Chad is, and I understand that you're not quite aware of that as I am today, but would you say that you are comfortable with giving Chad this particular hammer? Are you guys comfortable doing that? Are you, do you feel safe in here today with, with Chad having this particular type of hammer? So let me get, have that one. We're going to put it on display down here. This is where... Uh, by the way, that is Walt Neiman's, that is Kyle's son's hammer, and I have, I have promised him that I would get it back to him because I've understood it's very, very important. So we're going to go to our, to our next tool that I'm going to give you, and it is a totally worthless hammer, absolutely totally worthless, but here's where I want to uh, describe really who I am and, and how much I'm an idiot, don't say amen, okay? So I'm moving... 
And the very first thing that I basically packed. Yeah, I'm nervous because I'm sweating. You're sweating? Okay. That's just the lights and welcome to our world is what I would say. But this hammer is the only hammer available in my house because as I packed up a pod last week, what did I put in the front of the pod? All my tools. That's stupid. My tools are in a pod down by Trinity Boulevard, and I don't have anything. And when you're moving, guess what you have to do? You have to fix up your house a little bit. Now, don't look in there. What are you doing? You have to fix up your house, and you need your tools. But here's what I've discovered. This may look useless, but when you don't have anything else, it's a very useful tool. So it's very, very good. All right, it works. I'm going to take that. That's tool number two. Tool number three, we're getting a little bit more exciting now because we can do some damage with this. This is, hold that one, put it in your hand. Does that fit your hand pretty well? It's a rubber mallet. You even know what your tools are. Now, the last time you used that, you were creating hail damage for an insurance claim. Is that what you were? No, I'm just teasing. We would never advocate anything like that. That is not good, but this one is a little bit more useful in, in, in doing some other things and pounding some things out. Could you do a little damage with that, Chad? Yes. You could absolutely do some damage. Now, are you guys as comfortable with Chad having that in his hand, doing damage as maybe the toy hammer? We're getting a little bit more nervous? All right, let me have that. Thank you very much. Now, we go to, to tool number three. Tool number three is one that you're very aware of, being a cabinet maker. That's a fiberglass hammer. Now, that hammer is very, very special to me because that was my father's hammer. My father built lots of houses with that hammer and many others like it. But yet, that's something that you could do some real creative ability with, I would imagine. Chad built some of our cabinetry back here in the back and has done a lot of work and, and, and just is a phenomenal woodworker uh, with, with in, in his cabinet building. And so he can do some great things. But is this still a, could be a weapon or a tool of destruction? So it's in the right hands that it can do great creative ability, but it can do negative things as well. All right. Coming down to the last two. Quit looking in here. And that is that this is a hammer. Am I right? Hold on to that. Now, I used an eight-year-old in the first service, so okay, and he didn't do any damage with this. Now, are we getting a little less comfortable thinking about Chad using this and wielding this particular hammer? Does this, uh, can this create more and more destruction? All right, so it can, and that is a big hammer. Now, we're going to go to our final one, and this one is actually parked outside, and it's running, and we're going to get ready. This is what it looks like. Now, ladies and gentlemen... This is a hydraulic hammer. All the men in the room say, Now, Chad, would you like to get behind this? Yes. Yes. All men love their toys, right? And it's really not outside, so I'm sorry. You don't get to use it today. But this is something that could cause incredible destruction. A hydraulic hammer. Now, we have these things on display. What would we call these things? These are tools. Right? And that's what we're going to talk about today, is tools in God's hand. Now, give Chad a hand, and let me take off his safety equipment. For uh, That was really a poor hand. Did you see that? Cover up my donut sugar. (laughs) 
Well, I hate to cover up your donut sugar, and I'm going to turn this because I know this crowd, you can't stay focused if you always see Randy's box of fun. You wonder, are there other items that are in there? But here's the point for today as we look at this. As we think about living well, these are tools. And these tools grow in their ability to sometimes do damage or to do great creative things. I want you to think of an air hammer, kind of like that hydraulic hammer. I want you to think about the fact that if I, just for five minutes, uh, which is about all that I would want to use one, but if I use one of those air hammers, I could do incredible amounts of destruction. Or I could do something that is brilliant and creative if I had the ability, and that is this. This is Mount Rushmore, which was created using those air hammers by people who were incredibly skilled. And how did they get that skill? They got that skill by using these tools with greater and greater ability. And they would graduate from tool to tool as they used the ability and showed proficiency on those tools from all the way down to the toy hammer, to hammers and other tools that would be used. And that's the reason that this is an illustration for what we're going to talk about today. And that is wisdom with money. Proverbs has a tremendous amount to say about money and wealth. And when we think about that, what is money and wealth except a tool in God's hands to do the things and to bring about in His kingdom what He wants to bring about? And I want to present to you today the understanding that just like these tools grow in their ability to do great creative things, they also grow in their ability to to do great destruction. And so it is with money in our lives. It is simply a tool in God's hands that He allows us to use to do great things or destructive things in our life. And so we're going to look at a large group and large number of passages in the book of Proverbs, I want us to see what God says about money. Now, I've got to be honest with you. As pastors, we don't like to talk about this subject many times because we get accused oftentimes that the church is all about money. And if you're visiting today for the very first time, you might think, well, this church talks about money all the time when the truth is we talk about very little. And that's probably to our detriment. Because the Bible talks about it an incredible amount. And the reason I believe God's word is so open about this topic of money and wealth and possessions. Is because not only can it gravitate our hearts. But it's also one of the brilliant things that God has. That he wants the opportunity to use in our lives to make a huge difference. I want you to think about this. Do you know that half of the parables that Jesus told were about money, wealth, and possessions? Half of the stories that Jesus gave us that we have recorded in the New Testament, half of the parables deal with this. One in every seven verses of the New Testament deals with money, wealth, and possessions. Do you think that's important to God? I think it is. 500 verses, over 500 verses deal with prayer In God's word. Fewer than 500 verses deal with faith. And in money, wealth, and possessions, there are 2,350 verses that deal with this topic. 15% of all of Jesus' teachings 
deal with this more than what he taught about heaven and hell combined. He talks about money, wealth, and possessions. This is incredibly important as we look at God's word. But we must look at it in two ways. First of all, we must look at it from a biblical understanding and a contextual understanding. It must be both biblical and contextual. And the reason for that is this. If we do not do that, we will fall into two grave errors that we see in the church and in our culture today. The first is by cherry picking or taking certain verses that God says about money and wealth and possessions in his word. And we develop from that when we only choose a few and don't take it in biblical and contextual understanding. We come up with a health, wealth and prosperity gospel which is a scourge upon the church today, that basically says, just like these, you could, you could make a case for these hammers, that, that because you're a Christian, you should be prosperous. And that all Christians should be prosperous. And if you're not prosperous, there is something wrong with you and your faith. What I don't understand about that particular gospel, how it looks at the life of Jesus Christ, how it looks at the Apostle Paul and comes up with that kind of theology. Two individuals who suffered greatly and who lived in not just not really abject poverty, but always being totally focused on faith and the subsistence that came from God as a result of that. I also don't understand how health and wealth prosperity gospel looks at the majority of the church today that is persecuted and suffering and looks at that and says, this is... Really, here in America, we should be just this prosperous understanding of wealth. But that's what we will come to if we only take certain verses out of Scripture. Now, on the flip side of that is what we would call a poverty theology. Poverty theology or a view of God that we must be impoverished and only if we have no money whatsoever and are only uh, getting what people might give us, then that is a form of theology that, again, we can Find if we only take certain verses and don't see it in a biblical context that we must stay poor if we're going to be godly. And neither one of those are the biblical or contextual understanding of what God says about money. So today from the book of Proverbs, I want to give you some overarching understanding from my point of view and what God's word says. And most of what we're going to say today is just straight from God's word. We're going to let God's word speak for itself today. But it's a little bit different kind of message because we're going to go over so many passages. Here's what I would ask you to do. Write them down. Write down the verses. Go home this week. Look them up for yourself. Look look them up in the context of what they're given. And simply ask God this. God, what do you want from me today? How do you want me to live this life? What do you want me to do about this idea of wealth, possessions, and money? And how do you want me to live well? In this area, because it's an incredibly important area as we look at this. Final thing I just want you to, as we, as we introduce this today, is I want you to understand how our culture even came to this understanding of exchanging money. Because we didn't start off like that. We started off in an agrarian economy. And the way that we started off in the agrarian economy would be something like this. Let's say that I had a stone axe, okay? This is a sledgehammer, but imagine it's a stone axe. And I had that and I knew how to wield it. But I had a woolly mammoth that I needed to be destroyed that was always eating my crops. So I call Pete Calloway. And I say, Pete, if you'll come help me kill the woolly mammoth, I will exchange, because you help me, I will give you my stone axe. Okay? And so I would exchange a tool, something that was highly important for me to use because we're in an agrarian subsistence level 
type of economy, I would trade a tool to Pete because he helped me in a particular situation. So in our society, what we would always do is exchange tools. In 1100 B.C., in China, we have discovered that what they actually did, because they did not want to carry their tools around to exchange, because if you carry a Sith in a pocket and a sharp knife, knife, uh, you can hurt yourself by just exchanging those things with other people as you come in contact with them. So instead, they made bronze replicas of tools And it was the very first monetary exchange that they ever had. In 300 B.C., we came to the idea of coins in Greece as they were stamped with with animals, insignias, owls, and snakes. And they were exchanged as money. But the very first way that we exchanged anything, we exchanged tools. And so my... My presentation to you today is to understand that money and wealth is simply a tool in God's hands. That he wants to use you and I as managers and stewards of to accomplish the purposes and things in his kingdom. And wealth in itself is not wrong, but what we have heard and always know from God's word is it's not money that is evil, but it is what? It is the love of money. It is the fact when we elevate money to a place that God never intended it to be, and it goes back to what I spoke about two weeks ago, to the issue of pride, that we have placed it in a place, an idolatrous place, where it was never intended to be. And we've made it something that has begun to take the place of God. So some overarching things that I want to give you, some basic points, but I want you to write down these verses and look them up this week. The first one is, Wisdom is of greater value than wealth. That's the first overarching thing we need to understand. Listen to Proverbs 3, verse 13 and 14. Joyful. Now, joyful. Now, think about that word. What does it mean? Joyful is the person who finds wisdom. What joy is, is what overflows in our life when we find ourselves in an obedient place to what God in store is, has in store for us. That is what creates joy for us. Joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. For wisdom is more profitable than silver, and her wages are better than gold. How is wisdom more profitable than silver? How are its wages? In other words, what we yield from wisdom, how is that better than gold? You see, it's better because it's not only useful for us, it's useful for others as well. And what is wisdom? As we've talked about what wisdom is, it is understanding life from God's perspective. It is seeing God's view of our life. It is taking the knowledge that we have and being able to apply it in relationship with other people. On Saturday morning, we had a men's, our men's prayer time and one of our men said, really, the key aspect of what EVC is really about is about relationships. And I said, you're 100% right. That is absolutely right. We want to be about relationships with God and relationships with other people. And what wisdom allows you and I is to take the knowledge of God's word, the knowledge of our life, the knowledge of our circumstances, the knowledge of our finances, and to place those in relationship with other people to take knowledge and to use it effectively as God desires. That's wisdom. And that's more profitable than gold and more profitable than silver. Proverbs 8 
verses 10 and 11 says, Choose my instruction rather than silver, and my knowledge rather than pure gold. For wisdom is far more valuable than rubies. Neither you or nothing you desire can compare with it. Now I want you to think about that. Consistently, the writer of, of Proverbs says, gold, silver, and rubies. Now I want you to think about those three things. A, sto- a, a jewel and also precious metals. It's interesting, Dave Ramsey, the author of Financial Peace University, a radio show that is syndicated throughout the United States, uh, very, very popular in this understanding of God's view of money and finances. So Dave Ramsey talks about the fact that he would, he would discourage anyone from ever investing in gold and silver. Don't panic if you have, but he discourages it. And the reason he says that he discourages it is because gold and silver, and rubies for that matter, are only worth something if what? Somebody is willing to pay you for that. I'm discovering that as I get ready to sell my house and move. My house is only worth what I think it is if what? If somebody else is willing to pay that amount. Same thing with your comic book collections, your stamps, and those type of things. We think, oh, I've got these great things. But they're only worth that if somebody else is willing to pay for that. But wisdom is different. Wisdom is useful in your life. It's it's useful in your children's lives. It makes a difference in our world because looking at life through God's perspective will never, ever change. It will never, ever be out of style. It will always be a commodity, commodity that is needed in our culture. Proverbs 15 verse 16 says, Better to have a little with the fear of the Lord than to have great treasure and inner turmoil. Think about that inner turmoil. You've seen people who might be wealthy, but yet they're not happy inside. And the reason for that is it is better to have a little than to have much and have that inner turmoil. Now again, this is one of those verses that if we only chose this verse and didn't look at it in the context of all of Scripture, we would say, well, then it's bad to have any money whatsoever. That's not what this says. It might be even, we could say, it's even better if you have money and have relationships with people to the fact that there is no turmoil in those relationships. But I would rather have nothing and no conflict than to have much and great conflict. The continual message is this. Where do we place our trust? You know, one of the commandments, one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not have before me any graven images. And what is money itself, even going back to 300 B.C., but a graven, engraved image? And the idea is not that you should not have money or that I should not have wealth or money, but it is this. We should not put it up to a level where it takes away our trust in God. We should not take it to the place where it says, God, I have no need of you because I'll take care of this myself. I'm going to have enough money where I don't have to rely upon God any longer. And that is never the place that we need to be because that is a place of idolatry. We've raised our money, our finances, our wealth to a place that God never intended. Proverbs 16, verse 8, better to have a little with godliness than to be rich and dishonest. Proverbs 20, verse 15, wise words are more valuable than much gold and many rubies. So we must begin to get this general understanding that wisdom, which is knowing truth in life and how to apply it, has greater value in God's economy than wealth. 
We've got to begin there. That is what Scripture teaches us. Wisdom is greater than wealth. The second thing we have to understand is the path of wealth is very predictable. The path of gaining wealth, just like we move from using a a toy hammer to graduating to different abilities, and that as we graduate to that, God can make more and more available to us if we are shown faithful to be able to use it. The path of wealth is incredibly predictable. Well, now I've got your interest because you're going, okay, what does God's word say? If the path of wealth is predictable, give me the path, and I I will be that predictable person. Well, here it is. First thing is this, work is required. Ronnie spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. Listen to Proverbs 6, verse 6 through 8. Take a lesson from the ants, lazy bones. Okay, that's the word for sluggard, lazy bones. By the way, this is all out of the New Living Translation. So if you go home and you go to your Bible and you're going, that doesn't say anything like what he said. Realize we're looking at the New Living Translation with this. He says, learn from their ways, the ants, and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for winter. Work is required. It's very predictable that if you want to to have wealth and to see it used effectively in your life and to allow God to use it in your life, you're going to have to work hard. Understand that in the agrarian society that this was written into, no one who lived in that society would not understand this. That if you want to eat, you must do what? You must work. If you want grain in the, the wintertime, you had better work in the summertime to see that that happens. You see, there was no welfare system in an agrarian society. There was no get-rich-quick schemes in an agrarian society. You planted, you waited, you depended upon God, and you harvested at the time in which it was time to harvest. But if you thought a harvest was going to come just by you loafing around, it was not going to happen. If you wanted to see things happen in your life, you had to be a part in the process with God himself. Proverbs 10 verse 4, Lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. It's very predictable. Proverbs 13 verse 4, Lazy people want much but get little. But those who work hard will prosper. These aren't my words. These are God's words that he says about wealth. Listen, it's very predictable. The second thing we see that it's very predictable is that timing counts. Proverbs 10 verse 5 says, A wise youth harvests in summer, but one who sleeps during a harvest is a disgrace. For you to think that you can plant one day and harvest the next is not going to work. You have to understand that the timing of this process actually counts. And that you and I, when we live this life out, that as we work hard and we get involved in God's timing, this is a predictable path of this idea of wealth. It is generally slow and steady rather than quick. Listen to Proverbs 13.11. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. It is slow and it is steady. It is this process that, that God has called us to. Listen, when you think about Las Vegas, they're very big buildings and they're very loud and bright. And they're that way for a reason. Because the house always wins more than it gives away. 
And yet in our society, in often our welfare-type situations, our welfare systems, our understanding that we want to get rich quick in these things, we think that we can overcome the world system. But God says it is slow and it is sure rather than it is quick. Proverbs 21 verse 5. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. One of the scourges of our society, I believe, are the payday-type places. They're the title loan-type places. Because what they say to our people is this. Listen, come to me. Give me something little now, and I'll give you something great that you want immediately. And what we don't see is that the 100, uh, 200% interest that these places charge are a scourge on our society. And yet it speaks to the darkest side of who we are to say, come to me now and get what you want, as opposed to waiting and to delaying the gratification till later. A hard worker, Proverbs twenty-eight nineteen. a hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies, ends up in poverty. I can't listen to that and not think about the prodigal son who wanted the inheritance immediately, who wanted the, if you would, 90 days, same as cash, 120 days, same as cash, 720 days, same as cash. What they don't tell you is this. On day 721, when you forgot to make the payment, you gain all the interest from the 720 days on day one. After that, you see, the world presents these options and it says, do what you want, whatever you want, get it now, rather than God's plan of saying, delay gratification and wait for what it is that I want to give you. The next thing that we understand when we think about the fact that what we are called to is that a predictable path to wealth is there is this, debt is bad. Say that with me, would you? Debt is bad. A little bit louder this time, all right? Debt is bad. That is from God's Word. And I want you to see this. And I know, I know whom I'm talking to today. I know that we in the church are really uh, in the same place that most of our society is and that we find ourselves in greater and greater debt. Some of you are are 20 years old and under. Some of you are 30 years old and under in this room today. And I want to encourage you to live out this principle that God's word says rather than what you've seen your parents and grandparents likely do. And that is get out of debt and stay out of debt. And here's the reason why. It's very clear in God's word. Proverbs 22 verse 7. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. The borrower is servant to the lender. You may think that slavery stopped with Abraham Lincoln. It did not. Slavery goes on throughout the United States today and it is called debt. Because when you and I are in debt, we have no ability to use the resources that God has placed within our abilities or within our place. God has given us those resources in order to advance His kingdom. And we cannot do that because we are way, way under the water, deep in debt. If God speaks to you about that area, we want you to know we want to help you. 
We have a great course that we do here at EVC. It's called Financial Peace University. We will begin that on August the 18th. If you are interested in that, that's a Thursday night. It's something that, that I've gone through. It's something that we've had a great majority of a lot of our people that have gone through. But here's the truth. Debt is bad. And it will swamp you. It is very predictable, the path to wealth. And the path to wealth is definitely not in get me what I want today and I'll pay it off over the rest of my life. August the 18th, Financial Peace University. The next thing is this. Do not co-sign for anyone. Period. It's not my words, it's God's words. I don't care if it's your kids. I don't care if it's your parents. I don't care if it's a stranger. I don't care if it's your pastor. Do not co-sign for anyone. Don't co-sign on a loan for somebody else. Why? Proverbs eleven fifteen. There's danger. Danger. Danger, it says, in putting up security for a stranger's debt. It's safer not to guarantee another person's debt. Proverbs 22, 26, and 27 says, Don't agree to guarantee another person's debt or put up security for someone else. If you can't pay it, even your bed will be snatched from under you. Here's the reason why. When you take on someone else's debt, you are betting on someone else's character that you have no control over to pay that back. That's what you do when you co-sign. And God's word says it is a dangerous activity and do not do it. Now what that verse doesn't say is this. It doesn't say don't help your children. It doesn't say don't help your parents or your stranger or your pastor for that matter. What it means is this. Don't expect payment in return. If you want to help somebody, help somebody. And if you give it away, give it away. But don't expect them to pay it back. Because then you're co-signing and you're putting your character on the line for someone else's character to pay the bill. And that is a thing that, that, say, that, that Scripture is very clear about. So these are the path to wealth. It's very predictable. Very positive things that you can do and very negative things that you can avoid doing if you want to be on that path. The third thing then we see is this. Stay above the line between purposeful wealth and greed. Stay above the line. Now here's the thing I can't tell you. I can't tell you where the line is. But purposeful wealth is this. It is what God wants to use as a tool in your life, as we've been talking about. He wants to use this tool to advance His kingdom. But there is a line between purposeful wealth and greed. And I can't tell you what that line is. But we can look at Scripture and see what the characteristics are if we've crossed that line. One of them is this, Proverbs 1.19. Such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. It robs them of life. How can you know when you've crossed the line of purposeful wealth, between purposeful wealth and greed, is when you no longer feel joy in life. When you've watched your bank account so much and and feared whether it went up or down or your investment account or whatever the case may be, when you've watched it so much that you no longer enjoy the relationships of the people around you, you've crossed the line from purposeful wealth to greed when it robs you of life. Proverbs 23 verse 4 says, Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. What a great investment strategy. Get out before you get to the place where you wish you had quit. In a market that keeps going up and down, get out rather than trying to get rich quick. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Be wise enough to know when you need to 
retire, when you need to enjoy more of the relationships. And what I learned from my home father was this, that I needed to enjoy the relationships all along the way. I'll never forget what my father told me. As he was uh, right before, just a, a few months before he died, he said, you know, Randy, I would give all the, the money away that I've earned. And he was a hard worker who acquired more wealth than I ever understood that he would have done. But he said, I would give it all away if I could be without pain. And what I understood with that is this, that we need to know when it's time to quit. We need to know when it's time to rest and enjoy the relationships. And we need to do that all along the way as opposed to thinking that retirement's going to be this magical place where you get to do that. Enjoy people and relationships all along the way. Proverbs 28 verse 25 says this. Greed causes fighting. Trusting the Lord leads to prosperity. Greed causes fighting. You'll know when you've crossed the line when your relationships are in turmoil. I can't tell you how many families, once, once parents are gone or once a loved one is gone, that there's all kinds of fighting that happens because people are scrambling to receive the inheritance was so proud with my brother and sister and I. It was such a surreal moment for us. Because after my mom passed away and, and, then, my, and then my father passed away, we had kept all my mom's jewelry until dad, until dad died. And the three of us sat with all the grandkids running around. And I think it was important that they saw us do this. We laid everything out and we said, you know what? Let's just... Let's all take turns in thinking about the pieces and parts of, of, of my mom's jewelry and things that we, that we cherish the most. And I'll never forget my, my brother and I saying, you know, to our sister who's 10 years older than us, or than me, and uh, six years older than my brother. And, and we said, Melinda, you know what? You're the only daughter. You go first, and we'll just, we'll just do this together. There was no fighting. There was no squabbling. There was actually incredible joy as we got to see and tell stories about why something was significant to us. I chose a wood Arkansas Razorback necklace. I know some of you are going, that's crazy. But I remember the joy on my mom's face every time she wore that to, to the basketball games that she would go to. Now, Jennifer doesn't wear that, and I'm just really I'm crushed. <laughs> but that was important to me because of the joy that we saw. I've had incredible joy because uh, my mom, she didn't have a lot of expensive jewelry, but she had a, a topaz ring, and she had an amethyst uh, necklace. And those are things that, that some of the things that I got to, to receive. And I've had incredible joy as a husband kind of completing those sets of what my mom had for Jennifer on anniversaries or birthdays. and those. I've had incredible joy doing that. Why? Because I get to carry on the legacy of what my mom left me and what I'm going to be able to leave, what Jennifer's going to be able to leave to our daughters afterwards. Because it's not about the jewelry. It's about the, the relationships. And that's when you'll know that you've crossed that line from purposeful wealth to greed is when the relationships are in turmoil. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. Now just think about that for a second. If you weren't, if you didn't have wealth, the passage would not say honor the Lord with your wealth. It would say honor the Lord in your poverty. 
But this passage says, honor the Lord in your wealth. And what we know today is that every person in here, one, if you came to EVC in a car today, if you wore clothes that you actually purchased today, if you actually had food within the last 24 hours and you really didn't have to go uh, out and depend upon someone else to give you that food, then you are among the top 1% of wealthy people in the world today. You are wealthy. The question is not, are you wealthy or not? Now, you may not be wealthy according to your standards to what somebody else may be, but the pathway to purposeful wealth is very predictable. And you and I are wealthy today. Honor the Lord with your wealth, it says, and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. It is no doubt that God calls us as the church, as the bride of Christ, as individual believers in Christ, to bring those gifts to the storehouse. And this is one of those storehouses, a local church. God calls that the tithe. But this is not about, this message is not about tithing and what we are to, to do before God. Because just take a look. As we've continually told you what God is doing at EVC. God is blessing you and he's blessing us through you as a church. Because you're being faithful. This is not a message to try to get you to give more. It's a message to help you understand what giving is all about. And to be generous. To understand this principle. Between purposeful wealth and greed. Is if you are generous. You've not crossed the line into greed. If you're generous, not just to, to a church, to a local church, but to others. Are you living a life that's generous? Then you've not crossed that line at this point. Proverbs eleven twenty four and 25. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy. Remember Scrooge, you know, great uh, in Dickens' the Christmas Carol. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. What a great passage. This morning, I saw that it was one of my best friend's birthdays today. She's married to literally my best friend, and we have spent life together. Her name's Tina. We've gone on vacations together. Our kids have grown up together. We have lived a lot of life over the last 25 to 30 years. She and I went to... Uh, went to school together from the time I was in third grade until I graduated. We even went to the same college, and we weren't that great of friends until she married my best friend. And we became incredible friends. At their house, they have a Miller Suite at their house where we go and stay. My sister lives in the same town where she lives, but I never stay with my sister because I stay with Alan and Tina. And I wrote them, I wrote her a message this morning. I said, girl, I love you. And you have refreshed my family over the last many years. And because you've refreshed me, I just want this day, I want you to receive the refreshment from God. Because you have made a difference in my family. You see, people who refresh others are themselves refreshed because of how they give out to other people. The last thing I want to leave you with is this. Proverbs 13.22 says, Good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren. But sinners' wealth passes to the godly. I've often thought about that passage, and I've thought, well, okay, 
Should we leave an inheritance to the grandchildren or should we leave it to the children? Here's what I think that passage means. Just like I experienced from my, fa- my parents, my inheritance from my family, from my parents, was their work ethic, their love, their concern, their legacy of faith that they passed on to me. The wealth can be for their grandchildren because I got to experience their life. And it is biblical for you to continue to give down in your legacy line the purposeful wealth from the tool that God has given you in finances. God wants to use that tool to bring joy to your family, to bring joy to the world, to bring joy as we extend God's kingdom by using purposeful wealth. But we must always be mindful of what the line is between purposeful wealth and greed. We must always remember that the path to wealth is very predictable. And God's word speaks very specifically to things that we should do and things that we should not do. And that above all, wisdom is always greater than any wealth that we could acquire. Because it has, it has promise for this life and for the life to come. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, the truth of how we are to to live wisely and to live well with this process and with this commodity of money. God, we know that we are not to set it before you and above you, but we are to allow you to use it as a tool in our life and the lives of those around us to do the things and to extend your kingdom further and further into this world. Father, would you be glorified in us today as we are obedient to you in Jesus' name.